Welcome to Global Chit Chat, the podcast that helps you navigate the international employee benefits landscape. I'm your host, Leticia, and in today's episode, we will share our thoughts on using data to make better global employee benefits decisions. And I'm Alex, today's fun fact checker. And together, we will take you on a benefits journey around the world. So let's get started. Our guest today is Catherine Davis. Catherine leads Aon's global efforts to develop and deliver data and analytics to multinational clients. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Thanks, Leticia. It's great to be here. Data. It seems the world revolves around data these days. I remember, I mean, a friend of mine remembers, the old days when you could only access data through an annual subscription to the Encyclopedia Britannica. I'll take your word for it. That might be a bit before my time. But I agree that data is top of mind, and it's now the expectation to have ready access to increasingly better data and more sophisticated ways to access it. And your comment leads me to my first question. We know that multinational organizations are investing in data, but that is such a broad category. If we were to focus on the data that impacts employee benefits specifically, what type of data are we talking about? That really depends on the organization and what they're trying to accomplish. If an organization is looking to be competitive in the benefits that they offer to their employees, they'll need data on benchmarking and market data. On the other hand, if an organization is mainly concerned with addressing the cost of healthcare, then claims data would be the most important to them. So really, in any given situation, it'll depend on what data is relevant and also what data is available. In terms of the types of data that are most commonly available and that organizations usually look at to address their people problems, these tend to include things such as plan design and benchmarking, so data on the benefit programs that are offered to employees and how that compares to peers in market, claims data, and going beyond just medical claims, but also including life, disability, pharmacy, etc. Well-being data and statistics. How healthy are employees? Are they drinking enough water? Are they taking enough steps? Are they sleeping enough at night? Absence data. What causes employees to be out of work? Enrollment data. What kinds of benefits do employees need, want, and are they selecting for themselves? And also engagement data. What are employees thinking and feeling? There may be other data sources that are relevant and available as well, such as utilization reports from vendors and EAP providers and the like. That is great context for our next section, Catherine, because anyone who listens to this podcast on a regular basis knows that we have a section called Fun Facts, where we try to provide additional color to these conversations. And today we're talking about data. I don't know if you've noticed, but data is all around us and it is being used with or without our knowledge to predict our patterns, to send targeted communications, stuff like that. So Alex did some research and has come up with a few interesting and frankly, random statistics that will help us frame this idea about there being an overwhelming amount of data out there. Alex, what did you find? Thanks, Leticia. Let's take a look at a few points of data on various topics and bear with me as I jump from one data point to the next for demonstration purposes. All right, here we go. Over the past 100 years, Michael has been the most popular male baby name 44 times. Since the first Olympic Games in 1896, the US team has brought home the gold exactly 1,131 times. 
According to the National Institute on Retirement Security, only 4.8% of working millennials are saving adequately for retirement, while 66% of working millennials have absolutely zero savings for their retirement. More than half a billion Instagram accounts are active every day. Americans spend more than $72 billion on their pets annually. The odds of an average person dying from contact with hornets, wasps, or bees is 1 in 63,225. The IRS processes more than 2 billion pieces of paper each year. Scotland has 421 words for snow. At 2.89 billion monthly users, Facebook overshadows China's 1.4 billion and India's 1.3 billion populations. Blue whales eat half a million calories in one mouthful. About 700 grapes go into one bottle of wine. That's approximately 2.6 pounds of grapes per bottle. And 93% of people don't check facts they read on the internet. I think we've established beyond a reasonable doubt that we're being bombarded with data by the minute, both personally and from an organizational point of view. But I want to go back to something you said earlier, Catherine, when you were going through the different data elements available to an organization. It used to be that to solve any problem in the past, we used to say we need more data. Well, now we have all this data. Isn't that what we wanted? Where's the problem? This is an excellent observation, Leticia, and you're right. The ability to acquire data is no longer the main issue. The ability to tell a coherent story that takes into account all of the data elements available is the new challenge. Can you please define coherent for us? What does a coherent story mean for an organization in this context? I'd say a coherent data story is one that goes beyond just summarizing the data and one that actually helps to identify problems as well as specific actionable insights to target those problems. It doesn't just look at multiple data sources separately in silos, but instead uses all of the relevant data sources to present a clear, concise, and compelling point of view on what can and should be acted upon. It answers the question, now what? So to summarize, using data to identify the specific problems we want to resolve and developing a concrete action plan to address them. Are there any guide rails around this? Because when I think about it, there could be a lot of issues that an employer would want to tackle. How does that employer boil it down to the right issues? I think the way you boil it down is by first identifying modifiable risk factors and then taking steps to mitigate those depending on what the factor is. By doing this, you'll likely solve most of your largest and most immediate benefits issues. Now, when I talk about modifiable risk factors and the associated action categories, we generally bucket that into four categories, behavioral, education, prevention, and case management. Note, in some cases, there is no action to be taken. Sometimes you're doing everything right already, you're aligned to your benefits strategy, and there are some outcomes that are just uncontrollable. But I'd say that the action categories I set out can be applied more often than not, and that there's often a lever that you can pull to generate better outcomes for both your employees and your organization. Let's talk a little bit through that. Help me understand what this looks like in real life. What are the kinds of actions an employer could take to address, for example, behavior or education? 
The possibilities are endless, but I'll give some examples in each of the categories to bring this to life a bit. When we talk about behavioral, we normally look at changing employee behavior, usually with the help of a vendor partner who has a focused offering on a particular issue, such as smoking cessation, stress management, weight loss, etc. Education involves informing your employees on the benefits that are available to them and how they can best access those, as well as actions and advice they can apply to their lives to be healthier. This is often an easy button as it can be done to little or no cost using existing resources and forums, and it leads to more engaged employees who are better consumers of their benefits. Prevention involves identifying and promoting activities that can reduce long-term costs and making sure that these are readily available and top of mind to employees. Things that are often already included in medical plans, such as immunizations, health screenings, prenatal support, small actions that can have a big impact. And lastly, case management. This involves pinpointing problem areas and addressing them through plan design changes and possibly also through specific processes that are targeted at disease management to help manage costs. So let's assume that we have the perfect plan on paper. How does an employer know if the actions they're putting in place are working? Believe it or not, the way that you measure the actions and make sure that they're working is, you may have guessed it, by collecting more data. To be a truly data-driven organization, it's important to continue to monitor your employees, your benefit programs, and the like over time, and not just as a one-off project. It's really a cyclical exercise with data informing actions, which then leads to more data that can be analyzed to inform a next set of actions. At the end of the day, it all starts and ends with data. You mentioned more data, and that raises a question in my mind. When does going back for more data become an overwhelming exercise? When is there just too much data? There's too much data when you don't have a plan and you're not being intentional about it. And this is where prioritizing and having a roadmap is critical. I mentioned earlier that data can help you identify and solve problems, but equally an organization needs to have a feel for what problems it wants to tackle and when, as this informs the data that's needed and where to focus energies on collecting and analyzing the relevant data. For example, if an organization is really focused on the health and well-being of their employees, they may not care as much or invest in benchmarking data and how their benefits compare to market, but having insight into detailed claims information and well-being vendor usage would be critical. In short, the key to making better benefits decisions with data is not having a lot of measures, but rather to have the right measures that serve as leading indicators of how well your strategy is performing. Is there anything else we're not thinking of that you feel is important to consider in this scenario, Catherine? Absolutely. And I'm going to answer your question with a couple of questions, Leticia. There's a lot of things to think about as you embark down a global data strategy. Some of the questions that I see come up the most are, do you have ready access to the right sources of data? Simply put, is data available? Building on that, is the same kind of data and level of detail available across different countries? Are those data sources providing the right data fields and information needed? And can you consistently collect data in the right format and at the right cadence? I've used the word right quite a bit in the thought questions I just posed, but honestly, there's not a correct universal response to what right data is or looks like. At the end of the day, some data is usually better than none. And what's most important is making sure your data is relevant to the problems you're trying to solve. And on that note, Catherine, thank you so much for being our guest and for sharing your knowledge with our listeners today. You're welcome, Leticia. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please leave a review or share your comments on social media. And don't forget to join us on our next episode of Global Chit Chat.